Welcome to the Startup Microdose podcast with me, Ed Stevens, and my able co-host Oliver Jones. This conversation is with Per Hedberg. Per is the founder of Sting, an ecosystem for startups based in Stockholm that empowers entrepreneurs to build global companies. Since 2002, Sting has supported 241 startups, an astonishing 70% of which are still active, helping them attract a combined 429 million euros in private capital. We discuss Sting's system-based approach to startup coaching and their innovative financing vehicles, improving outcomes for entrepreneurs, investors, and even the Swedish government. We also talk about why Sweden has more unicorns per capita than any other country, and discuss the Dali Report, which explores the cognitive traits common to successful founders. So without further ado, we bring you Per Hedberg. Okay, good afternoon, everyone. We are here with Per Hedberg. Per, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Now, presumably you haven't come all the way over from Stockholm just to see us. So what are you doing in London these next few days? Uh, I'm mainly here for um, a big event called Founders Forum the next coming days. And then I've been doing some meetings with BBC and others and doing it. Okay, a full uh, sort of broadcast trip. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Have you been to Founders Forum before? Uh, no, not really. But you you do have you have links in with Founders yeah, Factory. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I've been to Founders Factory and know some of the people behind there. Whenever it's Founders Forum time here, everyone's is a great deal of excitement, but no one actually gets invited from Founders, <laughs> Founders Factory. <laughs> Everyone who goes is much much too important. And David Hickson reliably ensured us that only the best of the best get invited. So hopefully that is a testament to your caliber. Well, no doubt. I mean, looking at your career CV, um, there's a lot of impressive things on it. So, but maybe there's probably too much for us to get through as we want to talk about Sting and the Stockholm startup ecosystem. But how, how do you view your career journey in the lead up to that? I first thought when I was in business school that I was going to be a researcher. So I continued from business school to um, a research program at UCLA and lived in Los Angeles for some time. But then I realized this is much too academic to me. So I moved back to Sweden in 81 and started working in industry. So I've been CEO for 19 years in mid-sized technology companies up until 1999. And the last four years, I had a big sort of turnover project with a group of companies that were all bankrupt. I finished that in 1999 and was totally exhausted <laughs> and fed up working for large organizations. So. I had a summer in between and had an opportunity to take on a new company that's going to be listed. But during the summer, in the sun chair, I decided, no, I'm not going to do this. Mm-hmm. Now I'm only going to work with new started technology companies. And the concept of startups didn't exist in 1999. So I started on my own working with startups. 1999 and have done that since then and i founded sting 2002 was it that you thought that you knew that meant you could suddenly move into the startup space i think the startup space is so close to the nerve of essential business that you can get it's life and dead it's everything is important and the priorities are extremely simple in a large organization it's usually not like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a specialist, you're doing a little piece, and you don't know really what's going on on the total picture. In a startup, it's, it's very obvious what you need to do. And you have to be good 
at many things at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I'm sort of always been interested in learning and doing new things that I don't know and, and, and sort of like that type of challenges. So I thought working with startups, which is usually lots of problems and challenges and nothing really works, that fits me very well. Yeah. And then I really like working uphill. Hmm. <laughs> 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 well, startups give you plenty of opportunity to, uh, to push the boulder up a hill. You said it, there wasn't a lot of startups then, entrepreneurship was, was rare. So which side of the equation did come first? Did you suddenly see the entrepreneurs materialize? Or did you just have the investing contacts and thought actually there must be something we can do with these? No, I actually started scouting potential spin-offs from research institutes in mm. Stockholm. And 1999 I found two. One was in Tunable Laser Company and another one was in also in telecom area. So I approached them and say, hello guys, uh, they were two, three persons. I know something about this and this. I can help you and I can probably, probably invest small sums of money. So I started to work with two, three companies, 99, 2000, 2001. But it was only sort of 10 startups in Stockholm at that time. Mm. But they mostly in, in really deep tech with laser technology and things mm. like that. And presumably those sorts of um, startups that get spun out of research institutes need some you know, commercial input, they don't necessarily have that skill set because they're, I mean, they're not trying to sort of caricature them, but they're just, you know, they're nerds, they're focused on their, their tech and they need like a, someone with a bit of commercial nows to come in and steer them in the right way. Yeah, that was pretty right. I mean, I, I could add sort of commercial, how do you sell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, is, is this a testament to the, the quality of academia at the time in Sweden? I don't know if there were more sort of spin-offs from that sector in Sweden than it was in Cambridge or, or elsewhere, really. It happens to be in, in that area of Stockholm where these research institutes, there were two institutes that were pretty good on laser uh, technology, and they were world-leading in that. So I, I was fortunate to sort of stumble over some of them and, and started working with them. But I don't think that Sweden that time was sort of more in the forefront than mm. in the UK or anywhere else, really. With these components laid out, what were the ingredients then that led it to become Sting? Yeah, that was then 2001, uh, something happened. I, I continued to sort of try to pitch up cases from uh, research institutes and from uh, science parks in Sweden, because at that time there were the concept of science parks was still alive. And I got to know a manager of a science park, and he was also a, sort of a researcher earlier. He became 2001 the CEO of a foundation that was um, backing the whole growth of what today is Shista Science City, which is some of the largest clusters of IT companies in the world. This is right outside uh, Stockholm. And he was the new manager of that 2001. And the University in Stockholm, Royal Institute of Technology, and the city of Stockholm had decided we are going to change the science park into science city, a real city, with subway and opera houses and everything. So it's going to be a real city. Mm. And they realized 2001, there is a missing piece. There is no under vegetation of a new starter company. It was Ericsson, 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 and <laughs> IBM and ABB. <laughs> and, and and this guy and I, we had got to know each other. He was manager there and, and, and he asked me, can you come up with uh, some idea? How could we sort of nurture this area so we get new growing companies here? And I said, mm, okay, let's think about it. So I said, I'll spend half a year, this was 2001, 
to see what we could do. And, and I've spent a lot of time in Israel uh, and a lot of other countries to find, try to find out what have other countries done to foster climate and systems to, to nurture startups. Mm. And then in December 2001, I had an idea. And I said to this foundation that mm, I have an idea uh, about an ecosystem for startups. And, and it was a real system idea. And they said, mm, good, can you do it? So that's how it started. <laughs> And did you find a sort of, because at that time, as we said earlier, that there weren't, the whole concept of startup wasn't necessarily a thing. No. So did you find a sort of a blueprint that you used when you came up with the idea? Not really, but I took bits and pieces. Important input came from Israel, from the startup system in Israel that they built in late 90s. Um, they built a large incubator system after the wall came down when all the Russian scientists came into to Israel. Mm -hmm. Um, so they, in late 90s, they built an incubator system that I thought was quite interesting. Mm -hmm. I spent some time in UK, actually, both in, 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 in Cambridge and some other places, and uh, picked up some ideas in Cambridge. I also spent some time back then in, in, in the United States. So I put together components that I had seen in other countries and figure out a concept that I thought would work for Sweden. Well, the thing here, the landscape t sounds from your description that it wasn't the same as America where it was just spinning out web companies. Oh. So it's a different proposition altogether, which presumably needs more, um, more structured input to bring to life because in America it seems like people were just launching websites and, and venture funding them as we sort of still know today. Did you have a hard time convincing these people in academic research that there was a genuine commercial opportunity for them? I mean, the first, when, we, when I started in 2002, it, it probably took me five years to understand what we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I mean, you're right, uh, and it still is like that, that the majority of the researchers shall never be entrepreneurs and shouldn't. It's a waste of time because they have usually decided to be a researcher for a specific reason, that they're probably good at that. And then it's better that they continue doing research and, be, and win the Nobel Prize. But if you're going to spin out something from research, you need a commercial person, which is in nine cases out of ten, not the researchers. So you need to date researchers with commercial persons and build the company around the commercial person. Some researchers understand this and accept this. Some don't. And if they don't, it will usually not fly. Is that because they prefer to date other researchers? <laughs> it's, it's usually because of the fact that they think, this is not always true, but they think that the fact that they have invented something, then they think that is the whole thing. That's why I'm a, the researcher is going to own 95% of this company. And we try to convince them there is no value at all in this invention until you have sent invoices. Mm -hmm. And that will take another five years. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but I think it brings back memories of the sort of patent raiding of Nikolai Tesla and, and Edison and stuff like that. And so yeah. I think the, a lot is tied up to the body of academia of feeling that the idea yeah. and the invention is critical. Yeah. Which obviously we are starting to realize that there's so many ideas that the execution is, is paramount. Yeah. So how did that formalize a thing? When did you call it and say, actually, this is what we are. I've done enough research. I'm going to stamp my name yeah. on it and call it this entity. Well, I, I had a, the, the whole idea with Sting is, is quite special because we have built a, a system, not 
an incubator or not that or that. It's a system with several components. And if you're a little bit into engineering, you know that a system is based on components that are designed to work together to achieve a system goal. Most cases when we say system, it's not a system, it's a pizza. Or it's so something that happened over the years and then you call it a system. So we designed a system in 2001 and I still have, have um, the drawing of the system left. January 19th, 2002, we launched. Uh, all components were not there at that time, but we had the system architecture in place. And did that benefit from having a specific niche focus? Because I guess when we tackle the startup industry, we're quite broad reaching. So what works for FMB and FMCG is different to what works for SAS and then other things. Yep. So I find that the UK system can can be a little too disparate. Whereas I imagine if you started and almost created your own um, ecosystem, yep. that, that you can inherently see the route that you want to sort of structure that in. Yeah, we didn't have a specific industry focus, not at all. We, we, not at all. We just said we're going to build a system that can support innovators and entrepreneurs to build international growth companies faster than without us and with increased likelihood of success. That was the whole idea. And later on, we were sort of a little bit more sector specific, but we started as very sort of generic. Mm. What does the system look like? What did it look like in that sort of skeleton phase? And we had a couple of principles first. And that was, first we, we needed to sketch out what components do we need? And then we said the components that are already existing, if they were existing in Stockholm, don't build them, don't operate them, then tie them to the system and cooperate with them. Then we said, don't build components that doesn't really add value. For instance, don't build office spaces, because many incubators, at least in the US and, and, and Germany, and at that time, it was actually um, office buildings. And it was same, some of them in Cambridge, and other was sort of, was an office space. That is not value adding, really. It has some importance. So, so we said we're only going to operate the components that are really necessary. And one of those components was extremely qualified business coaches that have sector-specific experience. They have built companies on their own. They have come to a position in life where they don't longer need to prove themselves for others. So. The key in one of the key components of our, of our system are extremely qualified, experienced business coaches, mm -hmm. not mentors. Because a coach, you know, in, in, in football or, or something, is usually a former player and very, very active, but at the sideline. So we're, we're working and have been trained as coaches, my people instinct today. But we're really, really active. We work with three, four companies per person. We usually spend four to six hours per week per company, 18 to 24 months, with a person that then earlier have built two, three big companies. Some of us have been investment managers and venture capital companies. Mm. So extremely qualified. So the business coach is sort of the, one of the key components in, in our system. And at the start, though, if the, the ecosystem was so small, what sort of business experience did those 
coaches have back in 2001. And I was the first one. You were the first one. Yeah, yeah. I was alone the first year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I took on two companies right. the first year. Year number two, I found one guy. He had been in industry for 20, 25 years. Was he Swedish? He was Swedish, yeah. yeah. So I have hired a new business coach approximately every year since 2002. And it usually takes me a year or two to find one. So I have a couple of persons I, I sort of look at all the time and see, because they need to be in the right position in their life also mm, to yeah. take on this job. So so now we're 10 business coaches mm-hmm. uh, in Sting. And, and the coach is sort of a key component. Another extremely important component is recruitment and team development, since the team factor is usually the most important one. So we have two and a half persons now in Sting as any specific component, helping our companies with recruitments and team development, which is how do you develop culture in the company? Mm-hmm. How do you solve conflicts? Mm. How do you set up the roles for the key persons in an optimal way? And uh, last year we made 140 recruitments. So we're Sweden's largest startup recruitment organization. Um, and the headhunters, they can't do this. They don't have the access to these people because headhunters want people who will get a higher salary. Yeah. These get a lower salary. Yeah. Where are you finding the talent pool from? And what is critical to a good hire? The last 15 years the scene have changed dramatically. When, when we started Sting, most young people from business school or from technical university, they wanted to work with, with uh, IBM or Ericsson or something else. And, and, and it's the same in UK, I think, today, that most young people, they are looking for something else, something that they can control. So today we, f- we find uh, people everywhere in Sweden. They leave large companies, they come from other countries to Sweden, they come from universities. Uh, the majority of the companies that we are backing, they're usually sort of 35 years old, two or three persons, founders. 35 years yeah, old? Yeah, yeah. They have worked in industry for perhaps um, seven years or something. So we're not necessarily working with students or things like that. We're, it's more mature people and, and, and yeah. And over the course of this lifetime, when you set this up, did the government start to step in to provide support? Because in the UK, we're heavily incentivized with tax yep. incentives to invest in startups. But yep. with the ecosystem being so new, at what point did the conversation naturally build with the Swedish government to try and support what you were doing? Yep. When we started Sting from the very beginning, it was mainly financed with public money. Okay. Yeah. It was mainly financed with public money. We're, we're owned, we were owned and are owned by this foundation, which is, which is a private-public partnership. Quite interesting. This foundation that owns Sting is a private-public partnership backed by the city of Stockholm, Ericsson, ABB, Royal Institute of Technology. So it's a combination of public and private and university that is backing us through this foundation. And from the beginning, the initial money came from different public sources. Today, um, it's a little bit of both. Some of our financing from the operation is still uh, public funding, but we generate more and more from our own funding. And it's growing uh, all the time. So now it's public, private and own generated funding. The more Swedish companies start to to float, sell, IPO, whatever there might be, then more money can be recycled back into the ecosystem. That's also not coming from Sweden as well. It's coming from US investors or whatever it might be. And was the involvement of government, do you think, is that to do with the tax regime in Sweden? Because I 
I'm trying to think of the role of our government in terms of spending into startups, and I think we're incentivizing unnecessary. I think they're directly investing as much as it sounds like they were then. So is that because there's a high income tax rates and mm, they didn't uh, the, the government and the public didn't finance a lot it was very small sums of money okay there is no real tax incentives in sweden for business angels as in uk and uh, there's le- very little money actually public money poured into the sector very little mm. there is a national incubator program that was started 2003 they are co-financing 20 incubators in Sweden. We are one of them, but it's they co-finance sort of 20%. And and the, the, the annual budget for that national incubator financing is sort of 6,000 uh, pounds per year. There is not a lot of public money in it. So, But instead the universities and the city have been more active as uh, financiers. It sounds like it's, it's run with the base methodology of startups. It's running lean and efficiently. And yeah. I think actually, in some ways, by not propping things up with tax incentives, you're making sure that the money's used very carefully. At what point do you think that an accelerator, incubator program, whatever we're going to choose to call it, becomes a victim of its own success, which is that to scale, you have to work with more entrepreneurs. And at that point, you run the risk of lapse, a lapse yeah. of quality. Yeah, yeah I mean, <clears throat> our model is... is quite different from at least majority of sort of accelerators around the world most accelerators around the world are actually camouflaged investment vehicles a little bit like that uh, no, no problem with that but 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 that's actually what they are but but we're we're quite different and 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 it's sting is actually our investment vehicle propel capital is a profit making company but Sting AB, the legal company, we're actually a non-profit company. But we are very business-like. We are very, we're taking payments from all companies that we help. We help around 30 new companies per year. And they pay to Sting with a success fee, which is an option. So Sting can become a shareholder in all companies. We don't invest a penny, but we invest 16 persons from Sting in 30 companies per year and work with them 24 months or 18 months. And we say to the companies, you get our services in many different sectors. If you succeed, there is something to share 10 years later. If money is coming back to Sting, we will use that to help new companies. Nothing is going out. There is nobody making any money on Sting. Mm-hmm. If you fail, you haven't paid anything. So we're in the same boat as the entrepreneurs, which make us very credible uh, because entrepreneurs can trust us. We don't have a hidden agenda. We're here to help you. If we succeed, we do it together. If we fail, we don't get anything. Then we have investment arms that we have designed and set up. For instance, our angel investment company. That's something else. They're there to make profit, but that's a separate activity. What happens to a machine like that? If the exits roll through the Sting vehicle and you are exceptionally well capitalized, how will you then sort of handle those resources again when you're sort of a flood with, yep. with money? Well, we're not there really yet, but, but it, it's a good question. The whole idea with taking this sort of payment with an option in each company had two purposes when we started 2002. 
One was, I don't think it's a good idea to have activities like we that are free of charge. There must be payment. Otherwise, there is nobody challenging us for the value proposition. Mm. That was the first one. Incubators in different parts of the world that are publicly funded and they don't pay anything for it. And, and that's usually not good. But the other uh, long-term idea with this payment form was to build up an own way to finance the operation. And that has taken us 10 years because it usually takes 10 years to build a great company. Value peak, according to Kleiner Perkins, is 13 years. Really? Yeah. So now we're shareholders in 140 companies, Sting AB. And of course, money is floating back. And um, in the future, we might say to some of the finances that now we're on our own. Could you then build or structure your own R&D departments within Sting that offer researchers and you find problems that you then want to internally incubate, structure, address? Mm, no, we don't really do that. We, we always want an entrepreneur or innovator that have spotted a real big problem okay. with a real international market. We don't do the other thing, the venture building thing. No, we're not doing okay. that. Uh, so, so, I mean, that begs the question, how do you scope out, scout, and then select companies? I mean, presumably at this point, they're now applying into yeah. you, you don't have to do much outreach, but the yeah. start, I imagine you had to yeah. sort of keep your nose to the ground. We do a lot of outreach, but, but that's to find these innovators and entrepreneurs that have the idea. So we're screening around 600 per year, and we admit into the incubator or the accelerator 30. So it's usually 5%. It is both difficult and, and, and simple. Um, first of all, we're looking for people who are addressing a big problem. Otherwise, it can never become a big company. Business to consumer is more difficult because if you ask people, do you want an iPhone? You didn't know. But the business to, to business is easier to, to sort of pinpoint that is there a problem or not. There must be a problem so it can so we can ask somebody, is this a problem? Uh, do you, are you interested in paying for being having this problem solved? So big problem, international scope, that's number one. And after that, we look at the people. Okay, these people who are saying that they're going to address this problem, do they have the personal characteristics that is needed to build a big company? Do they have the motivational factors? Do they have the skills together and things like that? And after that, number three is, okay, the solution, the idea to solve this problem, is that innovative? Are there barriers to entry and things like that? Is it scalable? And things? So it's actually these three things we're looking for. How much time do you spend with the entrepreneurs in question to assess those character traits that you're looking for? When we started, not enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Today, we spend more and more time uh, since we have been more and more convinced that it's 70% about the team. Yeah. So um, usually we have perhaps five, six meetings, one, two-hour meetings before they are admitted. Wow. Are those meetings or do they take the form of aptitude tests in some variety? No, we don't use any tests at all. Okay. No, and we don't. We have very little formal application. Don't You don't fill in forms and things like that because, okay. I mean, we're usually talking to pretty experienced people and, 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 and they don't want to fill in forms and things like yeah, that because yeah, then it's, it's sending the wrong signal. Yeah. So, so we're setting up um, meetings with 
very qualified people with this team. We have no juniors uh, that are meeting cases earlier. We send out most experienced people direct. And if the first meeting is interesting, that coach at the next Friday meeting present this to the other people of, of the team. And then we decide, go or not go. If it's a go, then another person in the team will, will meet them mm. and, and pull the same questions. That's a second opinion. And if that is interesting, we say to the team, perhaps, mm, we would like to talk to one of your potential customers. Can you name two and give us a telephone number? Wow. And if they can't name a potential customer, then we're scared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if they can do that, we usually talk to some customers and ask them, um, here in this, in this company, they're addressing this problem. Do you have this problem? I mean, it's not complicated. Um, yeah. Talk to customers to verify, is there a problem? Are they willing to pay for getting this problem solved? And things like that. And, and sometimes we do team verification. Uh, but, and we're doing that more and more. And then there's a special person within Sting that does his team assessment. That's a specific interview with the team, only asking questions about the team, the drivers, and the motivational factors, and things like that. So that's more sort of character evaluation. Yeah, and that's usually a little bit later. But, but can you pull out any em empirical structure from that? As in, are there factors you're looking for, or is it more just a subjective? Barometer. Mm, so far, it has been quite subjective, but now with the, this DALI project, we're getting more sort of specific tools. But, but of course, there's a couple of hard things we always look at, and that is, have these person worked together for a long time, or are they new to each other? Mm -hmm. That's an important thing. Mm -hmm. What does the cap table look like? How is the, the owner structure, if there are three persons, one owns 95% and the two other persons are share the five, then we're really scared. Mm. <laughs> because this is a team sport. Mm. It's, it's a real team sport. So we'll, we're looking for sort of, is this a balanced team um, in terms of ownership? Have they worked together uh, so they know pros and cons about each other? And of course, we're also looking for balanced team when it comes to gender, because the longer the team is with only men, the more difficult it is to attract women in there. Ah, so interesting. So if there's a team with five guys and they realized we need a woman in her, that's much more difficult to attract that, that female than if there are two guys and you're going to attract the right. third. So do that quickly, as soon as possible. That's very interesting. Uh, and why is it important, do you think, to have a gender balance within founding teams? Is that just for diversity of opinion and... No, not at all. Everything is better. Absolutely everything. It's like in society, in the family. I mean, balanced team is much better for all reasons. So they perform better. Everything is better. So it, it, it's not a question. Mm -hmm. it, it's just that we have sort of bad history here. But, but we're working a lot with this. And, and last year was quite interesting. We admitted 33 companies last year to the incubator and accelerator. 33, 42% of them had at least one female founder, 42%, which is quite good, we think. Yeah, but I mean, is that something that you were actively looking for, or is that a reflection of the state of the industry? No, we're looking for, yeah. uh, we're looking for, but we're not, I mean... But presumably you've always been looking for yeah. it, and then th yeah. that was the first. Yeah, 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 because if you don't look hard enough, you don't find. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's too easy answer to say there's too f few females in there. 
then you haven't looked hard enough. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And the funny thing is, is when this conversation emerges in the UK startup ecosystem, as ever, a lot of people look to Sweden for the answers. So it's interesting to hear you talking about it as per somebody at the coalface because it's a very sort of egalitarian society by our definition. And um, to be honest with you, from the beginning of your conversation, there wouldn't have been many entrepreneurs of any variety or diversity. As you said, it was academic researchers. So yeah. the whole body of diversity around the whole ecosystem has needed to, to pick up. Um, and the more people who work in various industries to a high level who then spin out or see problems within companies, the better for that. I mean, are there any areas of representation within teams that you still feel aren't good enough? For instance, of those women, are there enough with technical roles that you're seeing come through? There's still too few coders and programmers okay. female. That's, that's a big problem. So, but, I mean, we can't fix that really. Mm. That's more a thing for the universities and the, the school system. So we're working with the Royal Institute of Technology um, in, in that area and then together with them try to sort of inspire more female to become coders. So there is a very unbalanced situation uh, when it comes to code. When it comes to the biz developers, our experience is that, that women are very, very good in that area. Um, salespeople, is r female salespeople are usually doing a much better job. Hmm. It feels like, from my experience of sales, it feels more like a relationship management role now than it's ever done because the access to information is better. I think there was a day and an age where it was hard-nosed selling of you know, forceful personality and, and beating down doors. And now it feels like it's really about cultivating the, the emotional intelligence yeah. of the, the relationship. What about the investor side of diversity? Because obviously you've got them coming to the, the forefront. Is that starting to pick up in terms of the representation? Yeah, a lot have happened the last two, three years in this area. We have had very few female um, investment managers in the Swedish venture funds up until two years ago. But that have changed quite a lot, as it also have done here in London. I mean, in the top two or three years, a lot of things have happened, mm. actually. So I don't think we have been in the forefront in that area yet. Um, but even the venture capital funds uh, have realized that, that there is only advantages. There is, so they're picking up. Uh, and what about the other aspects that you've sort of built on and around things like you mentioned Propel Capital, yep. there's also Luminar, SUP46 and things. How, how did they all start to yep. to come about? Yeah. As I said, um, we, we had a sort of system approach and, and that was first we need uh, very qualified business coaches. Then we needed finance, access to finance. So we have one person in the team that is financing coach. Sting doesn't have any money. Uh, but related we have. But we have had a financing coach and how one, which is a person that helps our company find investors, first angels and then venture capital funds. So we're running around with 30 new companies per year mm. in Europe. And I don't think there's anybody else in Europe that is running around with 30 new companies per year. So we have a fantastic overview of the investment landscape. So this person is the key person in our team. There's a financing coach component. Then we realized um, eight years ago that we need also uh, work with the recruitments. We didn't have that from the very beginning. That came from first that we worked with the researchers that was usually not good in commercial things. 
So we started to date commercial people with researchers. And then after a couple of years, inspired by uh, Europe Ventures in Berlin, we built a recruitment organization. So that's a specific component today, recruitment and team development. One and a half persons working only also with culture building, conflicts and things like that. Then we, from the very beginning, said it's important to have physical spaces to sit together, but we don't want to operate them. We don't want to be uh, hiring office spaces and, and fix a coffee machine. Hmm. So let's work together with other actors who could do that. There were not many actors like that in, in Sweden from the very beginning. We, we cooperated with a couple of office hotels. And then 2011, I was in um, Silicon Valley at um, Rocket Space, the, the original Rocket Space before it moved to the, the more fancy place, and was pretty sort of impressed. This is what we have in Stockholm. <laughs> so, so 2012, we started on a project to build the first Swedish really co-working space that became Sub46. And that was mainly inspired by Rocket Space. Um, Did it have any IKEA furniture in it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> has he, sorry to, to segue, but has he participated in the... No. No. Not at all. Not at all. No, no, no interest in the venture space? In not at all. Not at all. Really? No, no. Then that became pretty successful, which became sort of physical co-working space and startup hub. And then we located, so we have had one, our accelerator in that office space, but we do not run office space. We don't send invoices for office space. Then uh, two years later, we started another co-working space called Things, which is a similar one, but in on another vertical. That is a vertical Internet of Things, 3D printing, energy That's technology cool. and things like that. And in that house we have machine equipment so we can build prototypes and we have laser cutters and 3D printers and things like that. And that is also a separate company initiated by us, minority, minority owned by Sting, but we're not operating it. Right. And we have a third one um, in the vertical digital health called H2, focusing only on startups in digital health. So we have sort of inspired and initiated several of the Stockholm-based co-working spaces, but it's not our business. We're on the board and have a small minority in them. Linked to the financing coach, we have then initiated a large, very interesting micro-angel fund and also a traditional venture capital fund called Luminar Venture. And so uh, presumably with both of them, the incentives are a bit more commercial for you yeah, as well. Absolutely. Both are, are sort of commercial um, actors. Luminar is then investing in anything in Sweden, not necessarily our companies. It's a traditional closed end venture capital company with 60 million euro mm -hmm. under management. We are um, have a part of the carry and own part of the management company, but it's a so total separate business. Okay. And if that will become successful in the long run, Sting will get some money from it. Um, How long has that been going? One and a half year. Okay, so not not too long. No, it's it's one of the new started venture capital funds in Sweden in the in the mid-sized space, early A rounds. Okay, uh, is Stockholm the main city for startups in Sweden, or does is there any activity in Gothenburg and other? Absolutely, there there lots of good actors both in Malmo and Gothenburg in the northern part. There's several good actors, but Stockholm is sort of 50, 60 percent of, of of what's going on in Sweden. Because um, I think London might be even higher. I think we, we might be 70% of the, yeah. the venture activity. 
yeah it's i think it's around 60 percent stockholm that doesn't mean that that everything is going on there. there there's a lot of interesting things going on in other cities also mm. but 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 the size uh, makes it and so how does the propel micro angel fund yeah. work it all started 2003 when we started the first business angel network in sweden and that was a sort of a network of 15 20 angels that was paying a small membership fee to be part of the angel network and and we came to with them with sting companies and here's a good company would you like to invest in it and something okay and some no we don't want to win. next one but they'd invest as individuals rather than yeah, the yeah. Syndicate. that was we started as a total sort of individual then five six years ago we came up with with the idea which, which was not necessarily unique but but we come up with the idea which is now propel capital which is a micro angel not necessarily fund but let's use the name fund it's the idea that 20 to 30 angels invest a small sum of money 30 to 50000 euro each into a legal company called propel capital Mm-hmm. Then we have that money in, in that legal entity. Then we take that money and invest in small sums in all sting companies. So we do 25 to 30 investments per year. Equally apportioned? Yeah, with a convertible loan, no valuation of the companies. So the convertible strike price is related to the first round of equity investments. Mm-hmm. As soon as they have reached an in accumulated equity of 100,000 euro, Propel Capital can convert the convertible on that valuation minus 30%. So they get a discount? Yeah, a discount. The whole thing with Propel is that the angels who have invested in Propel shall do own direct investments. So we say to the angels, you will not become very rich on your investment in Propel Capital. We don't sell it like that. We say to them, this is a ticket to play. If you invest in Propel Capital, you will become shareholder indirectly in 25 to 30 new well-selected, well-managed company by staying every year. Mm-hmm. Then you can choose which one you really like, one, two or three or whatever per year, and you do direct investments in them. That's where you're going to make your money. So, um, But why does, requ- why does it require having the, the investment through Propel for them to understand which of the sting companies they really like. Because then they share the risk with the equity. Um, they get much closer to the companies. Um, we have a lot of matchmaking sessions with these investors that are investors in Propel before everybody else. So they get access to these companies before anybody else and get to know them in dinners, in lunches and things like that. So it's, it's a way of getting access to really good companies really, really early and be on the owner's side through Propel Capital. They can ask us in Sting, how are they doing in reality? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they can do investments directly as they like. On the other side, entrepreneurs that are looking at Sting, they see, okay, if I get into Sting, I can get an investment from Propel Capital and Behind Capital are these 27 angels. Those two there, they I really would like a direct investment from. So it works both ways. So it's it's a dating platform. It's a way of sharing risk. But the whole idea with Propel is to make it easier for angels to do direct investments. Mm -hmm. And then then we, so now we're on Propel number five. Mm -hmm. 
we do a new propel every year or now every second year so it's vintage hmm. no follow-on investments and uh, so we don't do any follow-ons in propeller capital it's one shot no management in, in propeller capital there's no stuff no stuff it's managed by sting on behalf of the angels the operational cost of propeller capital is around 25,000 30,000 euro per year and what's that for just for is a lawyer uh, yeah. Admin transactions fees. yeah that's it <laughs> so extremely cost effective uh. and sting has 20% of the carry in propel but we don't get any money if there's no if the investor haven't got their money back first so the angels share the the return with sting mm -hmm. if there will be any return so it's a really interesting win-win situation and this has become Sweden's largest um, seed investor. We're doing 25, 25 to 30 investments per year. We have now 110 investments. And, and uh, last year we did something pretty innovative. We went to the Swedish state. And as the Swedish state don't have a lot of tax incentives for angels that you have here, we said, mm, you should do as in UK, but they didn't want to do that. What was the reason? <laughs> no, they don't like tax incentives. Yeah. <laughs> but but instead we convince them uh, with something else uh, and that is we said to them if we get a million euro from 25 angels into propeller capital we think you should double that okay. and also invest a million euro in propeller capital so they did that last year in propeller capital 4 so now we have a system when we raise a million from angels we get another million in propeller capital and it's not being dragged off in management fees either. No, which no. is what typical funds would do, right? Which is no management fee. There yeah, is no so management fee. It's not the 2%. Nothing. Mm. And and the state is in there on the, the same sort of mechanism as angels. They did there for the return. So there's no, it, it's not sort of public money. It's they're in there as an investor. Then we have convinced the state of another thing now, which is quite interesting. So we said to, to the state that, okay, when a specific angel is doing a direct investment in company X and that person invests X amount of money, we think you should also should double that angel's money. These are the propel angels. Yeah. And now we have such a system. So individual angels can get a contract where they have a limit of money. So when they do a direct investment in a specific company, they pull of the same amount of money from the state and they have doubled the amount. And the angel gets 20% of the carry on the state's part. Wow. Okay. So we have now a system with both leveraging money in Propel and, and piggybacking the angels with public money. It's amazing. And presumably then gives the angel a far more, far more incentive to be active yeah. in that investment because then the 20% carry is gonna be pure leverage for him. Exactly. And for, from the company side, uh, the startups, they think this is great because when they see that angel, he has this contract, so he, he has double shooting power. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So they become more attractive also among the startups. Which means rounds can be done quicker as well. Yeah, and, and bigger. Yeah. So, so, so that's a pretty innovative. Um, How does that disrupt the venture industry? Because we typically see um, a pre-Series A funding gap often because people can't, you know, if they're looking for a million, they might only get to 500,000. But yeah. in this instance, they get 500,000, the government would step in, they'd do a million easy. So where has that pushed the venture landscape in, in Sweden in relation to those deals? It, it hasn't really 
closed that gap uh, that you're talking about because this is slightly earlier but it, this system have created a large volume of angels mm. that are really active and are sort of slightly changing the landscape and and being becoming more and more important for the funds because this propeller and these angels are usually in there before everybody else mm-hmm. but we still have at least had a couple of years some sort of a gap and that was between the angel rounds and and the first vcs um, that gap is not as big today because first we initiated luminar ventures which is an early a round company and after that came two three other funds in the same area so there is no big gap there we, we still have one gap left but that's an, of, of a totally different type but but uh, there's another gap and I actually forgot to ask earlier what what stage of the companies that you select in yep. sting and then the propel yep. goes yep. into yep. when they are accepted to sting they're usually two three or four persons mm-hmm. always pre-revenue but not pre-product no they have to have a product that they're launching within six months or they have launched they have a beta version if if the product is two years away it's too early yeah mm. uh, if they have revenue recurring revenue lots of too late right so we're pre-revenue and at launching or at least somewhere that we can test something with a customer if it's 95 percent product developments left it's too early mm-hmm. when you talk about a company having a global vision from the vantage point of sweden what does that look like for you? Because I was talking to Ollie before the um, episode and we said that London quite happily caters to the UK's market. It doesn't often look beyond its own borders enough to justify whether the market's there or not. Whereas will you want a company to immediately have some sort of relevance to Scandinavia or the rest of Europe before you take it on? We're 10 million people, uh, less than London. Mm. Um, And there's no idea for us to work with companies that not have a global mindset from day one because then it will become a tiny tiny company in sweden and that's not interesting for us at all so we're only looking for companies that have global ambition to build something and and we're I would say we're fortunate in that way that we're a small country. Mm. Uh, there's also disadvantages, of course. But the advantage is that <coughs> we can't afford to think domestic. Mm. There's no way. Then we, we, we have this um, fortunate situation that we have quite a number of large Swedish international successful corporates. Mm. Quite a number from a small country like this. We, I mean... Ericsson, Volvo, SKF, H&M, IKEA, and lots of companies. And that has created a, a mindset among people that, okay, if you're going to be in business, you're probably going to be in an international company otherwise. So it, it's the whole idea is, is, is among people is, well, yeah, it's going to be international company because why not? <laughs> Isn't it that stat that you've got more unicorns per capita than any other country? Yeah. Uh, We're trying to name them all before. Mm. And what's thrown me for a loop here is that they're all very uh, consumer-facing. 
And actually, this discussion has highlighted the the B two B propositions yeah. that are going on. You know, I think everybody has thought Sweden and thought the gaming industry and Spotify and Skype, Izetel, Izetel, yeah. Klarna, yeah, and not thought so much about your your B two B landscape. But of course, it exists. And yeah, it's. I mean, I I I mean, being a native Swede, I I have never really thought that we're good at business to consumer <laughs> yeah it, but they're so funny because it, it, it it's like wow they've made these amazing tech giants that we all know but they've yeah. all felt very sort of consumer led yeah they and, and it's surprising but but so far we have not one sort of real unicorn that is business to business well perhaps i set lists actually uh, mm. and they, mm. they're not selling to customers no. uh, they're selling to companies so that's business to business um Klarna is actually also selling to business, but its consumer uses it. But Spotify is selling directly um, to consumers, and and, and Skype, and and Mojang, and and King, which yeah. are the six ones. We're probably going to see um, some more unicorns, business to business. I think from, and, from and Sting. Yeah, um, there's one uh, possible one at least mm-hmm. uh, right now. You're not uh, going to name it. No, nah, I mean it's it, it's it's not a secret. Um, uh, we'll see. We have one really interesting uh, company that is a potential um, unicorn in a couple of years, called Ubico. Mm-hmm. It's it's internet secure technology company, and and Andreessen Horvitzen recently invested in them, yeah. wow. and they usually not invest in no. whatever. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not usually. I mean, what what is the Swedish landscape standing out for in your mind um, at the moment? You've mentioned health care, health tech, environmental technologies. So, I mean, wh- where is the landscape skewing? That, that that's it's it's a question that that that, that really I thought a lot about um, before, and and my answer is usually there is no specific sector, which is so strange with Sweden, because. In many other regions, there's usually specific sectors, like in London, there is fintech and there ad tech and a lot of retail and things like that. In Berlin, there is a lot of in, in media and, and ad tech and Hamburg also media. The interesting thing with, with Stockholm is that since we have in Sweden so many corporates in many in sectors, we have two world-leading mining companies, we have two retail companies, HM and IKEA. We have a couple of car companies and IT companies. The thing here is that in, in this ecosystem, it comes out things in all sectors. Mm. So I would I think the strength in Stockholm is not a specific sector. The strength is, is the variety. There's so many things popping up in all sectors because everybody has a cousin or mother father or relative that is working in that big company that big company that becomes so you become impregnated in different sectors mm-hmm. so but the last 10 years that i mean fintech have been pretty strong mm-hmm. I, Izettel being prime yeah, example, yeah yeah and klarna uh, of course and, and a lot of interesting things coming up in that industry due to 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 the advanced bank sector in sweden we've been very good at sort of design uh, and user interface things. I mean, IKEA is a design company. Spotify have a fantastic user interface, which is one of the most successful things with Spotify. It's so easy. Mm. Mm. Uh, So design thinking is probably a strength in Sweden, which is perhaps why we have been 
anyway successful with some consumer companies but but otherwise it's difficult to say yeah this sector and that sector i i i we never really think about that we're just looking for okay can this become a big company or not <laughs> do you have any ideas sort of moving forward for, for staying in the ecosystem around it or are you you pretty set with the way it is and you just want to sort of nail those bits down when we started we worked quite a lot with sort of heavy technology things coming from research and things like that and then 2009 2010 we added an accelerator program which was only digital and we started to work with sort of media companies game companies and and uh, more sort of light technology companies what we're uh, going to do now is probably moving back a little bit and uh, are going to move more back to sort of real deep tech things more complicated things that takes longer time mm. more money but also usually bigger problems um, since we're more and more sort of convinced that the resources need to be focused on real big problems perhaps not a new innovative dog app yeah um, mm -hmm. it's nothing wrong with that but 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 if we're going to focus we're probably going to work more with new energy technology structures things in the whole sustainability space that yeah. we're doing a lot and 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 i would like to work a little bit more that with what we did a couple of years ago which was more complicated technology that takes longer time more barriers to entry higher risk i think we're moving in that direction higher risk but presumably with the structure that sting affords these companies you can try and reduce the expenditure of patenting your technology or, or yep. how to box it up and turn it into a manufactured process yep. which is the key because otherwise the R&D phases can be so expensive that they, they prohibit the entrepreneur getting to the end outcome because the business doesn't see the light of, of day no. which is where I really think that the intervention of, of business leaders and the government is so important to to high level technology coming through yep. those big problems you allude to I mean what what are these in your mind from your point of view, not for even from Sweden's, but the ones that actually keep you up at night. And yeah, there's one thing that that is to me right now um, a, a challenge. And and if we're going to move now more, a little bit more towards this type of company, then we still have a financing gap, at least in Sweden. I don't know how it is here uh, in the UK, but but when it comes to these projects with complicated technology with long time to market. Uh, and high product development costs and high risks that doesn't fit the traditional venture capital fund model at all and and we don't have hundreds of cases like that in Sweden a year we probably have sort of 15 20 really good ones per year that needs substantial funding before they even have a prototype mm -hmm. And the prototype takes five years to develop. Mm. And after that, you know if it's going to work or not. Yeah. That does not fit very well with a traditional fund structure at all. That is something I'm thinking about a lot. How can we fix that problem? And it's a national problem. It's a problem perhaps in some other countries. In Germany, it's interesting that there they have a lots of family offices and uh, corporate CVCs that are more active in this space. But in Sweden, we have lots of good venture capital funds, but they cannot invest 
in cases like this because of the structure of the fund. It takes too long time and it's too high risk. So I would like to see a, um, another type of investment vehicle mm. uh, for doing investments in complicated, game-changing, industry-changing things. And we don't have that. Because those are the the jobs of the future. Those yeah. are the job creators of the future. Because yeah. if everything is shallow tech that narrows down to buckets of AI, then people are replaceable. Whereas if you create new industries through 3D printing and manufacture, and um, I think that's where the opportunity comes from. Yeah. And I see s there's some actors like that popping up in Sweden, but they're too few. And, and I don't know how it is here. Um, but but I... If, if I had a wish, what was would be to, to solve this problem. But is that something you're actually going to try and solve in the same way that you've, you know, you've built the Luminar for the venture cap, early venture capital, you built Propelex for the early, and then partnered with the government for the early angel stage. Is it something you think you can do as a sort of an, an extra string to <laughs> Sting's bow? We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> um, I want to ask as well, the name Sting, now I read on your profile that, that the love of the musician is something that you that he's dear to you. So is yeah. it, is it named after? Not at all. Not at all. Not That's at just all. a coincidence. Coincidence. It, it was. No, it it was. Um, it was one of my dear colleagues who came. We 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 named it Stockholm Innovation and Growth. Okay. Stockholm Innovation and Growth. Pretty long. Uh, and <laughs> my dear colleague said mm, we need to find a shorter way. So he came up with the abbreviation Sting. Yeah, it works. Yeah. Mm, and this growth. was two thousand two. Mm. And, and, and the artist was not very well known. He was police then or something. Mm. I think the, the band was <laughs> named Police. Yeah. So, so he, was, he, he didn't have that brand name um, at 2002. So, so we took the name Sting, but, but it was an abbreviation of Stockholm Innovation. And then he named his band yeah, after exactly. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he was singing of Fields of Gold it was, uh, with you in mind. Um, you mentioned the Dali report earlier. And I thought it'd be interesting to because it's ju you've just published it yep. and it was something that was a collaboration between Sting and and a, a university. A research. Uh, it was a, a Karolinska Institute and a university in the northern part of Sweden called Umeå Biotech. So it were three of us, mm -hmm. and it was a study to investigate whether successful entrepreneurs exhibit patterns, ca character traits, and so is there a an ideal entrepreneur that investors that. Uh, incubators can look for. Yeah, this is the, the, sort of the holy grail. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> this study is, is not a scientific study because the, the number of entrepreneurs who participated was was uh, limited. Uh, we're probably going to make a more thorough study in the future that can be more scientific. But but it's quite a unique study. We, we had sort of around 20 successful, real good entrepreneurs. One was actually a founder of one of the unicorns. Okay. Mm. Um, and, and a couple of others are halfway there uh, among these uh, participants. And we wanted to see if we could find, as you said, are there any characteristics? So we could use that when we screen companies, when we develop them, when we support them in different ways. We used a couple of measurements that is very traditional, established measuring methods. And then we combined it with two totally new methods. One from, from researchers from Karolinska Institute that it was called, called Game Intelligence. And it was a combination of these old established methods and these two new that gave us some really interesting new insights. And, and um, 
some of them, first of all, to become a successful entrepreneur, you, you don't need to have higher IQ than persons with a similar background. Perhaps that was known before, but that, that's not the case. You need to much, be much more persistent. But Great. But, but the, the main finding was that these entrepreneurs, they scored very high on the combination of complex thinking and creativity and self-awareness and verbal ability. The combination of these characteristics were unique among these persons. Mm -hmm. And um, we also saw, of course, that you don't need to be sort of a rebel, a rule breaker, or have a uh, crazy creativity thing, or have unusual or, or complicated upbringing. Mm. It's not at all about that. So it, it's centered very much around the combination of capacity of complex thinking and creativity in mm. combination. Mm. Do you think some of the skills, you were obviously testing already successful entrepreneurs, do you think some of the skills that you were picking up as you just described were ones that actually they would develop over that, right? it wasn't that the people had those skills at the start, they, mm. just, they developed them to that level through the process that took yeah. them to their success. That's a very good question. The, 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 this, the game intelligence test um, addresses that and the researchers say that this is stable over time. Right, okay. You, you can't sort of learn it or cheat it. Right, uh, what, what is the test? It lends too long to, to get into that. It's a very complicated test. And, and but, we, but is it is it a digital test? No, 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 so no, no. It's not game in the no, sense of no, no. No, you sit down with with the pe people and 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 it's like and John Nash game theory yeah. type. Okay. No, you sit down and take oh, so several hours, and then they did several tests. So it was five or four different tests. Wow. And we combined them, and okay. and that was was interesting with this Dolly project. That that is a combination of existing and new ones. If you want to release a viral bit of, of sort of interactive content, you could do a, a test that entrepreneurs listening could uh, <laughs> go and test and see if they it's worth their while, whether they should give up now. But but then the funny thing is, I guess that creates a feedback loop of, of information where we then go to the, the classic argument, is it nature or is it nurture? And if it's found to be nurture, then do we set up their education systems to optimize for creativity yep. meets problem solving? Because yep. Arguably in the UK, we are made to specialize at university, which makes us possibly one dimensional. And if they were like, actually with your science degree, you should now do art. But then we have the problem of what happens if we have a nation full of entrepreneurs, like who is it? Who are the innovators in a landscape full of innovators? Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, do you think this is something that can be created? Uh, or do you think it's something, you know, people are born with, with basic up to, you said it's not IQ, but mm. at the same time. I think it can partly be created. For instance, the school systems in a country can Inter can change this if you have a school when it comes for instance to, to creativity if the school system in a country is very sort of programmatic that you don't really inspire kids to think on their own hmm. you should read this you should learn this and then you get a good grade um, then you don't nurture kids creativity so you can change or at least impact creativity from kindergarten and up absolutely absolutely complex thinking um i don't know it, it, perhaps you can can influence that also then the, the second thing was self-awareness proved to be very important here because these participating in this study they seem to be much more the new very 
precise that I am very bad at this, very bad at this, I don't know this, I'm very good at this. So the self-awareness part, that is also something you can train. Yeah. You can definitely train that. In school and in family and elsewhere, you can train to be more sort of aware of your strengths and weaknesses. And it's okay to say, I'm not very good at this. Uh, you don't be, need to be, if you have a society where it's very important to be good at everything and be a sort of a hero and, and all that. Mm. But mo many of these people, they're sort of very sort of laid back and say, no, I'm not very good at that and, and very humble. Mm. But we sell that narrative and I think the media does as well that entrepreneurs are one person who, who just, you know, Mark Zuckerberg built Facebook. It's like, well, of course, it wasn't just Mark Zuckerberg. He's had some very bright people around him that yeah. helped create it. And time and time again, we see these people lauded on social media, picking up their awards for being the founder of a company. Yeah. And often the people who might be the technical aspects of the team are left in the shadows. So yeah. we need to stop revering the individual because it t sells a better story and actually start to acknowledge the, the, the aspects of the team. I think because you know, people like Elon Musk are genuinely very talented in a, a couple of yeah, yeah. disciplines. But again, he probably didn't only build SpaceX. It's probably had more thousands of very bright people. Well, you imagine that like, the great leaders aren't the ones doing everything. They're the ones who give the people space around them to do the best that they can do. Mm -hmm. And the environment that yeah. can nurture that. But then also, um, I mean, Elon Musk, for instance, or Zuckerberg, I mean, there's 20, 30 persons that is written and talked about. And sometimes perhaps they're the outliers. Mm -hmm. uh, they might the exceptions also sometimes yeah. because there is thousands and thousands other teams that have been extremely successful where there is no Elon Musk there is three, four dedicated persons that work together yeah. and most companies are like that but we don't hear about them yeah. um, we don't hear about them in, in some of our unicorns in Sweden I said it's really teamwork. There are two persons behind there, mm. and you only hear about one of them. Mm. But the other has been as important. Yeah. Spotify is the same. There's two persons. It's a real teamwork. You hear, hear mostly about Daniel Ek, but there's really two persons behind. Mm. <laughs> so, so most and 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 uh, Klarna, they were four. Mm. So it's a team sport. I think the good thing that comes out of these these environments and where Sweden's probably off to a good start is I think the inspirational figures are what cause people to aspire to sort of create themselves as entrepreneurs as well. I think the more you hear about national success in the field of entrepreneurship, the more inclined you're going to be to try and, and think that way and problem solve. And so, you know, Sweden is off to a very good start. I was again speaking to Oli before this. I, apparently, um, the Swedish government were incentivizing the or subsidizing the purchasing of computers yeah. back in the late 90s so that people would spend more time interacting with them. And that's obviously worked. That's a brilliant, uh, brilliant. thing. Because yeah. some people were saying, we shouldn't have our kids on the computer. They need to be outside. We shouldn't let them mm. waste their time in front of these PCs. But obviously, there was a, an exceptionally long-term vision that these were going to be critical. Yeah, it was. it's, it's, it's made uh, Sweden in the forefront of digitalization. Yeah. Mm. And now many other countries think, how are we so digitalized? Germany is, is coming to Sweden all the time and, and, and think, asking that question. Mm -hmm. so, but, and, and many things are sort of uh, history, the 20, 30 years uh, reasons behind uh, why it is uh, 
like it is. Yeah, it requires a bit of foresight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many things in a society that are, you can relate it to history and things happened 20 years ago and, and now you see the effects 20 years later. Yeah. Ready for the quick fire? So the first thing I'm gonna ask you is for a prediction for the future. In my field, I think we will see more and more entrepreneurs that would want to address important problems. Do you mean that in line with the UN Sustainable Development yeah, Goals? Yeah, yeah. It becomes more and more important that there is a important reason why you're going to do this. Mm -hmm. Is it on a personal level or on a global level? Is it on a global level. Right. Yeah. But is it that pe also individuals are thinking, yes, I want to start a company, but actually I want to start a company that solves this problem because I care about it and because it's a big opportunity? Yeah, I mean, we we, see, we, we have this Greta Thunberg now, uh, the, the young Swedish school kid uh, running oh, around. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that will uh, influence young people um, and we'll see effects of that 10 years from now. I see more and more entrepreneurs that are, they, are, they want to work with something that is really relevant. Mm -hmm. I think that, that, and I hope also that is a, is a trend, but, but we, we already see it because it's more meaningful to work with both to create a new company on your own, but that it also has a higher value. Mm. Do you think with the EU's attention at the moment on climate issues that we're going to get that? Are you optimistic that, that enough is going on? No, I think my opinion is that politicians in general in Europe are not brave enough. It has to be more tough decisions to change the energy production and the CO2 emissions. And we're not brave enough. We should do much, much more. I mean, the problem is that the election cycles are way yeah. out of kilter with the mm. the timescales for solving climate change and so it just yeah. it just doesn't suit them no i mean just think about all the the coal production plants we have in europe many of the political parties that are in power have many of these people working in the coal uh, plants as their voters yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah which makes it very difficult to change it but yeah. That makes it even more important for politicians to be brave yeah. and, and be pedagogical and, and uh, explain, we need to do this for this and this reason. Mm. That's leadership, but, but I think sometimes we see not brave enough. Yeah. Bolder things, tougher things in this area. We can do that, I mean, we will survive. Um, <laughs> anyway. We hope. We are, yeah, we hope, we yeah. must. What about a startup uh, book or resource that you, you'd recommend to people? I would recommend to read Rosling's Factfulness. Okay. Hans Rosling's book, Factfulness. Is it, is it a Swedish book? Yeah, it's, okay. it's in English, it's, a, it's all over. No, I mean, is the author Swedish? Yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's, he's dead, unfortunately, now. He was a doctor. It's called Factfulness, and it, it's about taking decisions on facts and not beliefs. Hmm. We think so many things, but there's facts and it's better to use the facts. It's, it's a really interesting book, mm -hmm. really. And finally, what is the best advice you've ever been given? Or maybe actually the best advice you've ever given to as a business coach? Don't give up. Don't give up. Yeah. <laughs> Powerful and yeah. straight point. Yeah. Um, and the last thing we like to, to ask is if there's anything that our listeners can do to help you on your uh, crusade, what would that be? To solve the financing 
problems of the le of these complex new startups which need lots of money it's a fine challenge yes there's a fine challenge good luck guys <laughs> <laughs> um that, uh, thank you so much for coming on really good fun thank you so much okay thank you if you enjoyed this or any of our other conversations we'd love to get your feedback our twitter handle is at the startup mike m-i-c or get us an email or your ed at startupmicrodose.com if you're feeling particularly generous of spirit a review on itunes would go a long way to ensuring that we can continue to bring you these conversations finally this recording could not have happened without the support of founders factory backed entail their podcasting software and studio in the Daily Mail building, London, are as ever the unassuming stars of our show. Check out entail.co. And thank you for listening. Goodbye.